Welcome to the Inquisitive VC. Today, I'm speaking to Jeff Morris. Jeff is the founder and managing partner of Chapter One, an early stage seed fund backed by Sequoia, Mark Andreessen, Kleiner Perkins, and many other LPs. Jeff has invested in companies like Lyft, Dapper Labs, Pipe, Superhuman, and many more. He was previously the VP of Product and Revenue at Tinder. We talk about his learnings from deploying a fund, investing in crypto, how he determined his value add, and more. I hope you enjoy this episode. I would love to start with a little bit about your background in terms of what led you from you know leaving your product role at Tinder、um, and going to start your own fund. Yeah, definitely, it was definitely a a, a long transition. The Quick stories. I was always investing pre Tinder. I was doing a lot of angel investing.、Um, when Angelus came out, I was I was a syndicate lead, and then while at Tinder, I was a scout for Index Ventures. So investing just became everything I thought about in the morning and at night. I would go to Tinder, and of course,、um, was still interested in what we were doing at work. But it was just so obvious that my passion was becoming more and more focused on on investing and. I had、um, through the course of 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 doing those kind of the, the seed to SPV lead to a scout for index ventures that progression、um, just gave me a lot of repetition in terms of of knowing how to source deals, how to win company win deals, and then also、um, support companies. And so I was really confident by the time I raised fund one that I could go do this full time and.、Um, I, I raised the fund towards the end of my Tinder career and ended up not knowing if I wanted to do the fund full time and、I、ended up actually going to another operating role for for a bit. So I went to Lambda School where I was the director of growth. But、um, again, I just found as I as I did this through a fund vehicle and I had LPs, it became increasingly difficult to do both operating and investing. And I noticed kind of the quality of my Deals was starting to to go down a little bit because I just didn't have any time. So there was a a fork in the road where I needed to to choose between the two. And it was pretty obvious that investing for me was was what I was more passionate about, and really haven't looked back. It's been、um, I guess since I raised fund one, it's been about two years, and wake up every day just loving loving what I do. I love that. I love to dig into the part where you mention you know. Learning how to best source and win deals, you know, I, I understand that's probably one of the most important parts of, you know, venture. What would you say are, I guess, the key insights that you've learned over these past few years of sourcing and then actually winning,、um, an allocation in the deal? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the、um, the thing that I was just unclear of when I was early in my investing career was why founders would want to work with me. So it's kind of Knowing what my value was on a cap table, we live in a era where there's an abundance of capital and no shortage of choices for founders. So you really have to be clear and self-aware with what you bring to、um, to that relationship. And so, I just started asking more and more founders why they wanted to work with me, and the answer I kept hearing was they didn't have a a product person on their cap table. So I was operating at Tinder. A lot of people were. Just generally impressed by what we were doing、um, on monetization, which is what I was focused on, and 
And so it's pretty clear, like my role on a cap table would be helping with product. And so I think the sooner you can become self-aware, I, I truly believe that everybody has something they can add to a company. Um, even if it's just like pure energy, like, like going and, and helping advocate for the company and finding new customers. Um, so, so that's, that's part of it. And then, and then, you know, I think another part of it was just understanding what made me happy as an investor in terms of what I want to do. And it turns out that what I was good at and what, uh, makes me happier directly aligned. It's like, um, the perfect intersection of, of my interest is investing in, in products. So it, it was just a really natural way to position my fund, um, in terms of what services we wanted to, to provide to founders. Got it. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I think your fund has a great portfolio. Um, what would you say is the key thing you look for in the teams and companies you invest in? Yeah, there's, you know, I'm constantly reevaluating what that is, but the most of what I do is really early. So it's pre-seed and seed investing. And really at that stage, it just comes down to, to team and people. And so increasingly, I care, care a lot about the team dynamics. Um, what motivated the team to, to form, to, to solve a problem. Um, you know, is there, uh, has this been like a passion for that founder or founding team for a long period of time? So it's kind of like the, the idea maze, um, analogy, have they gone through the idea maze and really validated that this, um, whatever market and whatever problem they're, they're bringing to solve that, um, solve some problem that market actually is something they want to do for, for the rest of their careers and, and have they done kind of the upfront work The it's easier than ever to start a company right now. There's just so many tools that founders um, have at their disposal, whether it's Webflow or no code tools. Um, so it's really easy to actually form a company, but I find the, the founders I tend to work with have been obsessed with some problem just for a, uh, a long period of time in their lives. And it kind of feels like they're, it's their destiny to be the single team to solve that problem. And you kind of know it's, 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 it's a feeling you can't really describe when you meet a founder, but you just sort of know, like, this is, you know, it's like founder market fit or that authentic, um, uh, the authenticity of why they want to actually go build that business is really clear during, during those early pitches. Yeah. Got it. Um, and is there like a key characteristic that you've seen across your portfolio founders? I think um, for the founders that have succeeded, it's just, it's this grit. It's like the, like, I won't back down from anything type of attitude. And there's just kind of a, a force of nature element to, to how they approach solving problems. They, um, it doesn't, it does, it's not a personality type. Some are introverts, some are extroverts, but it's like every time you hop on a call with them, they've made you know, so much progress since the previous call. And it's just like, they're constantly learning something new and, and applying it to their business. So uh, especially when I, I talk to a lot of founders when they're, they haven't even left their company. Like they have some idea they're thinking about building and you, you can tell based on the time between calls, whether they're actually going to go solve that problem, because it's just like, they, they can't stop thinking about it. And every time they talk to you, it's, it's a new, a new lesson or a new, a new learning. Um, and then beyond that, I think, you know, I tend to work with, with a lot of founders who care deeply about product and, um, 
product has obviously many, many pieces, but the, um, the actual kind of go-to-market building piece is important. And then look increasingly for, for founders who have some distribution advantage to, um, whether they've, maybe it's, they've worked in SaaS and they've been in the market, so they know all the customers or on consumer, maybe one of the founders, um, has some just like large following in a certain vertical that allows them to, to just reach escape velocity before their competition. So, um, so yeah, I do look for, for kind of product expertise and, and also just a unique point of view on distribution. Interesting. I would love to hear the story of what happened with the paid zero fund and then also why you have decided to focus a bit more on crypto again. Yeah. So in 2017, I, uh, this was index ventures ran a scout program and this was my first kind of pool of capital that I managed in the explicit charter of the fund was to invest in digital assets and, and web three projects. And I was doing, I guess the reason I, I was so excited about that fund was because I was investing a lot of my personal money in crypto projects. And I'd done the seed rounds of um, projects like Dapper Labs, which became NBA Top Shot. I did the seed run of Compound Finance um, and, and, and a bunch of others, but I, I became just generally obsessed with, with, with the market, um, ended up page zero, ended up investing in, um, projects like the graph was kind of the standout, but, um, uh, the fund itself ended up on paper. It's like a, a 25 X fund. And the, you know, more so I was just curious about digital assets. I worked on subscriptions at Tinder and, and, and all we were selling were digital goods. So I was pretty, um, in love with, with digital goods. And so when I saw crypto kitties as a, as an example, it just kind of clicked where, um, it seemed pretty silly on the surface, but people were spending money on these digital goods that had zero marginal costs. And, um, there were real marketplace dynamics that were, we're starting to develop around, around the crypto kitties ecosystem. And, uh, and then beyond that became just interested in, in, DeFi and and um, I went to raise my first fund in 2019 and at that time my portfolio my crypto portfolio wasn't looking that good because uh, compound finance had not kind of gone to market yet um, the graph was still uh, still not released Dapper Labs had not hit its inflection Blockfolio had not been acquired by FTX and so there was actually just zero chance I was going to go raise an institutional fund from, uh, from the investors I, I raised from with the, with crypto as a focus. Um, I still kind of kept, I, I, I was, I was still, uh, very, uh, focused on crypto from just an intellectual point of view. And then luckily is, um, with DeFi summer and, um, and then also with NBA top shot doing so well in, uh, Q1 2021, suddenly LPs were asking me based on my track record to spend more time investing in crypto. And not that you ever need kind of LP permission to invest in, in any given space, but it was just the reality of the fact that I wasn't going to be able to raise a crypto fund. And so now, um, you know, I think the, the products are much more mature. There's, uh, there are real use cases for, for different crypto ideas. And, um, it's just something I'd, I'd 
I love and I'm passionate about about doing for for the rest of my career. For sure. And you invested in, you know, Dapper Labs and obviously talked about uh, non-fungible tokens. How do you feel with the current market and, and seeing that play out? And did you think it would come the way it has come now um, when you first invested in Dapper Labs? I had, I had no idea um, that the market was going to explode so quickly. And it was also really, um, it, it kind of all happened at once. And so January, I think, caught a lot a lot of folks off guard. But the, you know, the NFT market beyond, beyond NBA Top Shot has so many exciting projects happening. And I think that the public narrative right now is that NFTs um, have, like there was a bubble and, Suddenly, the assets aren't aren't valuable. But if you look at the OpenSea transaction volume, they actually had the best month um, in their existence in June. And so the the market is is just getting started. I think the there was a period in like February March where everybody was trying to figure out every creator, every musician, every entertainer was trying to figure out how they could be a part of the NFT market. I think a little bit of the initial excitement has, um, you know, just, it's just been tempered a little bit in a good way where we're now back to kind of reality, but there's definitely a new baseline for NFTs and the, you know, the projects that I'm seeing right now um, are, are just really exciting. It's, it's, you know, especially the kind of social token NFTs where it's unlocking community access and, you know, real life uh, events. I think, I think it's, it's just a, like friends with benefit is a good example. It's just such a cool community that um, could it have existed without NFTs potentially, but uh, the, the kind of crypto native nature of the groups and, and also the fact that NFTs exists has just unlocked um, so many new use cases for community building too. Yeah, no doubt. You've been investing in some great companies. Do you have an anti-portfolio that you can talk about? <laughs> and if there's a, anything you've learned from those mistakes? I have a ton. I mean, I think probably my my worst crypto mistake was Filecoin. I talked to the team in 2014. Um, I was driving to a wedding. I was on the five freeway, which if you live in California, you know, it's like really spotty cell phone reception and um, honestly, it was like one of the worst calls on my end of my career. I just wasn't prepared and um, probably sounded remarkably uh, uninspiring to the, the team. So I, I didn't end up investing in Filecoin at that time. Um, since then, there's been, especially in Fund One that I've deployed, I think there's been a lot. I've, I had a chance to, uh, you know, I'd known Paul Davidson at Clubhouse for years and, and saw Clubhouse really early in its life cycle all the way back to the seed round. Um, you know, there's been other companies that have raised it at high value, you know, main streets raise at a high valuation um, public. I mean, there's just like this huge long list and it grows, it grows every day. I've learned not to, you know, I think, I think the, the kind of lesson that I'd love to live by is to, you know, not to be mad if you pass, but to be, be mad at yourself if you didn't see it. So I at least know I'm fishing in the right ponds, but um, obviously I'm always trying to question how I can improve my decision-making process. And, uh, you know, I don't think I'll ever 
there's like no end to that um, self-evaluation process and trying to get become a better investor um, is for me probably going to be a lifelong journey. Yeah, fair enough. You also recently mentioned that Fund One has been, you know, officially deployed. Could you share some of your biggest learnings from deploying that fund? Yeah, I think um, I want to write. I want to write articles about this because I learned a ton. But I guess starting with the the fundraising process was when I raised the fund. I was still at Tinder, and I had expected the fund to be um, about three or four million dollars, and it ended up being nine and a half million dollars, which again, isn't a huge fund, but it does change um, some of the early decisions I made in terms of, of sizing of my checks. Um, perhaps those should have been a little bit bigger. Um, you know, I think I'm, as a solo GP or a, a, a smaller fund, you have just time constraints. And so the portfolio size ended up being 50 plus companies. And obviously the we're in a service business you have to provide a great service to founders and once you invest in that many companies the your service level can can be challenged and so um you know probably the power of concentration and doing a little bit less companies in future funds would be would be a learning and then you know i think part of part of the evolution of any fund manager is is becoming confident in your own picking abilities and so at the beginning of the the fun life cycle, I was really, I think, reliant on other people's signal to inform my investment decision making process. And there was some turning point in the fund where, and I, I haven't quite pinpointed the, the exact moment where I just, I just kind of became disenchanted with that form of investing and wanted to become the signal. And I think it was part of it was I think my peers and kind of the uh my LPs and other people just began to trust my taste more and and that helped me trust my taste more as a as a result. But um, you know, I think I think you have to eventually make the transition to thinking for yourself and having your own reasons for investing or not investing. And if 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 you know I've passed on a bunch of companies where they've ended up raising money from tier one funds and you have to live with those decisions and just be confident that you actually went through your own process to to come up with your own decisions so i don't think there's enough original thought in investing right now because there's just so much um activity and the you know the the rounds happen so quickly but slowing down and making your own decisions is is a huge uh part of what i i keep telling myself to do more yeah that's incredibly insightful are there any investors that you would say are are your role models or who you look up to? Yeah, I think that's a great question. The um, there's kind of a long list, but one of the early people who helped me at the start of this fund was Mike Maples at, at Floodgate. And what I love about Mike is he really hasn't changed a lot of his strategy over the years. He's been consistently focused on on being a great seed manager, and for me having a a stage focus has been, um, it just kind of put me at peace, like knowing, knowing where I sit in the ecosystem and what makes me happy. So I'm, I'm also a seed manager and that's where I, I love investing. Um, beyond that, you know, I'd say I don't have a ton of, of role models in investing. I do have people I, 
I really respect and whose opinions I, I value, but there's not a ton of people who, who I point to and say like, that's my, that's my role model. Um, and yeah, I, I should have a better answer to that though, but yeah, I would say Mike, Mike's definitely one of them. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> um, what's a secret obsession of yours that not many people know about? It's a good question. I think, um, for me, it's, it's, I've always just been really attracted to finding new things before everybody else. So in college, as an example, I ran a music blog where I was, um, you know, it's kind of like a pitchfork type blog where I was trying to find new musicians before everybody else. And, and I, I maintained that music blog through college and it became like, I've always loved being a tastemaker. And so from that to, you know, finding, I, I worked at UTA, which is a talent agency in Los Angeles in their digital department for, for about a year. And um, my whole job was trying to discover YouTube talent before everybody else and, and trans, transition them to be becoming either TV or, or film stars. And so I was scouring YouTube to find, to find those folks. Um, and that was, again, just like a lot of digging, you know, kind of like hanging out on the, like the deep ends of the internet, trying to find things that nobody else is, is identifying. And I think that's extended to how I invest is I, I try to find communities or people that, um, before, before anybody else. And, probably like the canonical example from funnel one is Rome research. Um, you know, I got really involved during the diligence process with the Rome research community and I didn't feel like there were, I was in the Slack room. So I, I knew there, there weren't a ton of other investors in there hanging out. And so I find the more you can kind of authentically immerse yourself within subcultures the as an investor that's where you tend to find the most alpha um just because you're able to discover things before anybody else and um actually understand market dynamics before before other folks too that's pretty cool what's the latest publicly announced investment you've made and why did you make it that's a great question let me see publicly publicly announced i did um i guess the deal that i led pretty recently was um, a company called Van House, which is a, a creator economy platform. They're basically enabling subscriptions for TikTok influencers and also Twitch influencers. But um, the kind of group of creators they've targeted in on is is female creators who have really big personalities who want to monetize um, just like that. It's 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 like it's it's a combination of shit posting, but also just like like kind of like thoughts that you'd send to your close friends, but wouldn't share on the internet. And I just found that was um, to me, a really interesting group to, to build for the, I see a lot of creator economy pitches and it's pretty generic in terms of how they, how they qualify, like their group of, of creators. They just kind of use the word and it's a catch-all for, for many different things, but I really appreciate how Van House had, had identified this, this specific niche and um and beyond that the team was just insanely talented there were two um two of the top stanford cs uh grads of of, of 2020 um started the company with um uh just an amazing uh founder uh and from from warren who'd who'd left finance to to solve this problem for herself so 
Yeah, FanHouse was was a recent investment that that I'm really proud of. And again, we we love that deal in the pre-seed, and they've just been been kicking butt. So I've been really fortunate to be to be working with them. Exciting. Yeah, I, I did see you tweet about them, Jeff. Um, really appreciate you joining me um, and taking out the time. Yeah, thank you, and um, look forward to the episode and appreciate your time.